We're excited to be partnered with Gulfstream Park for their championship meet, highlighting their new Tropical Turf Pick 3. This wager includes three turf races every Friday and Saturday with a terrific 15% takeout. Additionally, Bet features a $3 minimum wager, and it will run even if the races are moved from the turf to the all-weather. Don't miss our Tropical Turf Pick 3 handicapping shows all through the month of December to get all your tips and analysis. Welcome to the In The Money Players podcast, the December 15th edition. Nick Tamaro here, deputizing for Peter Thomas Fornatal, who seems to have found something better to do on this Friday morning. Of course, I can't think of anything better to do than cover a little bit of Turfway Park with you, as well as the Japan Racing Association. I'm going to do something a little different this week, too, with a relatively light slate of stakes races. Drew Cotney is going to join me to do a bit of a stakes roundtable. We're going to touch on some of the stakes races from around the country. But first up, we head to Florence, Kentucky, and the man that we have grown to rely on for such activity, the one and only Kevin Kirstein, who you've, it's been another week. Has your, uh, has your wagering activity at Turfway State as, as strong, or are you uh, you looking for a little get-out this weekend? Oh, I need a get-out, Nick. Bad. It's so funny how this racing at Turfway you know, turns. It's like you, you can see the big stacks of money ahead of you, and that's what I think keeps people coming back. But, man, I need a get-out this weekend, but I'm ready for it. Certainly plenty of opportunities. That's what we know about uh, Turfway. The big field sizes left and right. You and I were just talking a little bit before we came on about how Friday night there's going to be a carryover in the late pick five of over 120,000. You know, and the thing is, I I always feel like, KK, that if you have a signal where you're handling better than 100, 100 you know, 30,000 or so in your pick fives, you're getting a lot of popularity. You were telling me that the handle of Turfway has just been through the roof. Yeah, it's just a credit to all the horse players out there. You know, we can't be more thankful for – you know, the people that are supporting the meet and, and, you know, you get full fields and you get low takeouts on these, you know, pick fours, pick fives and the, the single six jackpot. And, you know, we we've talked in and a lot of horse players talk about these jackpot wagers and the single six is a little bit different than most of the jackpot wagers because 90 percent of the daily pool gets paid out at a 15 percent takeout overall for that bet. So even though, you know, it's it still has that jackpot connotation to it, at least. 90% of that daily pool is getting paid out. It got hit the other night for 218000 and so there'll be a mandatory payout on the closing night of the holiday meet, low 15% take, pick, take out in the uh, pick fives, and 14% in the pick four. So it's a credit to all the horse players for supporting the meet, and uh, you know we couldn't be more thankful for them. I just need to hit one of these things these days, Nick. That's all it takes, right? If, if it was just that simple, it would be so much easier. Just got to hit one and get back on the right side of it. We're going to try and do that with Saturday night's card. It, of course, is a nine-race program. begins at 5.55 Eastern time. That late pick five starts at 7.55 Eastern time. And uh, in that race, we're going to go six furlongs for rock bottom maiden claimers. I guess it's the sort of reverse of what we talked about last week where we ended with a race like this on Saturday night. Instead, we're going to get started with it. Maybe that's a bit of an edge. Where are we going to get this thing uh, kicked off? Phew, it's wide open to me in, in this race too, Nick. And we, we end with it too because we go in the finale on this uh, this Saturday night. We're going to have a couple of good races in between, but we go maiden 75s to end the card. Um, and, and so in, in this race, I'm sort of, you know, I have some opinions in the middle of the sequence and, and this race, you know, if I had to, you know, pick a top choice, I'd pick Fondre for Arno Delacour and Declan Cannon, um, you know, was competitive at Colonial against, uh, you know, just some 
subpar competition, I think, in those races, but fits very well in this race, making the drop in class to main 30 here. Declan Cannon getting aboard. This horse is based locally at Turfway, so has some of that uh, you know, experience working over the Turfway Park track. You know, a, a long shot that I'm going to include, too, is the number two, Caladium for uh, Kelsey Danner and Didi McGahey owns this one. This horse sports a uh, an interesting bullet work at Turfway last time out. It's been based there throughout her entire career. Makes you know, got one start at Churchill, was way overmatched that day, and now in for Maiden Thirty. So, uh, you know, if I had to pick a top three, it's ten to seven in order uh, as my A's. I'm going to go nine and eight as my backups. But this is a race that you know I think many people will spread to kick off the late pick five. Yeah, one that I thought was a little dangerous was the 12, Madame Leota, for, uh, now for Fausto Gutierrez, off a debut up during the Belmont at Aqueduct meet, where this one got off to a slow start. I mean, look, that was against considerably better horses. We know that much. How it'll translate to a performance second time out on the class drop remains to be seen. We know Fausto's got a win at the meet. He's also got a very good record. Maiden special weight to maiden claiming, so one that it looked like you might have some percentages on your side as well as a weight break from that far outside post. Obviously not as much of a concern going six furlongs. Any consideration given to Madame Leota for maybe maybe to get a, a share of it? Yeah, I think that could definitely be a, you know, a possibility. Again, it's, you know, in this race, I think it's all going to be about, you know, the trip and, uh, you know, who's going to take to the surface and, you know, in these type of races. And, and that's how I sort of play these sequences. And, you know, the, the lesser type of competition, I'm going to spread as deep as my pockets can allow me and then try in those allowance races or the maiden specials to have some more defined opinions because those are the horses that tend to run more towards form than these horses. On to the second leg, race six, a maiden special weight event at a mile and a 16th. And I feel like, KK, the horse that's going to be favored in here is the just the prime example of the kind that you have to make a decision on at Turfway, which is the five Tis Wicked Strong, whose dirt form really makes him just a, a – he lays over this field. I mean, he has run so much better from a speed figure perspective than anyone here. But they've all been on dirt. He's done all of his training on dirt. Jimmy Baker is a trainer, obviously, with a small amount of horses, does not have a significant uh, record on synthetics. And this is a horse who's probably going to drift, I would say, even below his morning line of five to two. I could see him maybe getting down into the two to one range, depending, of course, on what kind of action the Collier's time is going to take. Where did you land on Tis Wicked Strong and everybody else? You, you know, I ended on Collier's time. And just because, you know, there are some question marks, I agree on Tis Wicked Strong. You know, speed figure wise, this horse is, you know, obviously the horse to you know, to win this race. But, you know, it's just some question marks on if he's going to be able to handle this surface. Obviously, Hardspun has done well at Turfway in the past, who's, uh, you know, the grandsire of, of Wicked Strong. So, um, you, you know, there's some question marks there. But, you know, the nine Collier's time, uh, I thought was very intriguing working over the synthetic surface over at the Skylight Training Center here locally and in, in, uh, just outside of Louisville. Um, you know, as close, I guess, on some speed figures, uh to uh the five in here I, I think it's just these two horses it's one of those races where you want to try and get creative i think to beat those two maybe uh you know you just sort of end in, in these horses if you're playing this race in the in the pick five just because there's some confusion later on in this sequence one horse i did want to mention that's a first time starter that i think is going to get some action because i heard some buzz on this horse is the number one photo op for rick hiles uh, again, a lower percentage trainer, not a lot of horses. I think he only has about four in training right now on the backside as the, uh, he's the president of the Kentucky HBPA, but he, uh, I think likes this horse and this horse could take some action from the rail. Gerardo Corrales jumps aboard 10 to one on the morning line. I do think we'll take a little bit of action. So, uh, you know, I'm going to use that horse, you know, just because of, uh, you know, that buzz that I'm hearing, but wouldn't be surprised if the two favorites, the nine and the five are, are both the ones to beat in the sixth. 
interesting spot there for sure. A horse that I thought I could consider was the six, as one does for Vicky Oliver. Improved run last out long on the turf, getting close to a hot pace. We'll see if this one can translate that form to synthetics. Vicky's got a decent enough record on synthetics, about a consistent win percentage with where we see her on a yearly basis. And I do think the light bulb went off. A lot of times that matters when you're talking about a maiden who is uh, accumulating starts. That's at least been a, a productive race so far, too, with the runner-up Utah Beach coming back to win his next start. Third leg, race seven, a mile and a 16th on the Tapita surface. It is the Prairie Bayou, the featured event on this card. And it brings together some horses who've had plenty of glory right here at Turfway, including the one like the King. We have Ocean Atlantique coming in off of a series of, of improving races for Mike Maker as well. Tis the Bomb, Hush of a Storm. These are all horses that have consistently run well on either turf or synthetics. This is like a really fun race, and I haven't even mentioned Wolfie's Dynaghost, who, of course, is, is only four for six on synthetics and brings in a, a big win last time out in the grade two autumn up in Canada. Is it, uh, is it Wolfie's Dynaghost race to lose? Well, I mean, you, you mentioned how fun this race is. You have two Jeff Ruby Stakes winners and a Kentucky Cup Classic winner. Uh, and so that just shows you the, uh, you know, the, the horsemen coming back to support Turfway Park for the horses that have run well here. Um, you know, to me, gambling-wise in this race, in, in the late pick five, it's Wolfie's Dining Ghost for me. I just think this horse is better right now than some of the other horses that have done well at Turfway. And so I'm just taking that recency angle. Um, even though those some of those horses may return to that form that they showed once at Turfway Park, uh, you know, this horse has just been facing better and doing better against the better competition is why I'm going to lean on him. You know, last out in the autumn stakes was very impressive in a wire-to-wire fashion. You know, I think he can... Uh, probably have that same sort of trip in in this race. You know, there's not a whole lot of speed, um, and I, I think he's just maybe a touch faster than some of the other horses that have shown tactical speed that you see in your past performances. So, you know, I, I think he's definitely one to lean on from the pace advantage, and definitely his form, you know, speaks for itself. And, of course, you know, he was very impressive winning the Kentucky Cup Classic earlier this year at Turfway. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a it's a fun race, no doubt about it. You also have a new arrival to the barn of Bill Morey in the 11 packs of wallop. This is a horse who was a really good two-year-old and just has not gone on as a three-year-old. But I always, uh, I think I live in fear of Bill Morey when I see his name in the trainer line. There's also a horse in here um, in the nine cellist who finished second in this race a year ago behind in love and ran a race that, I mean, hell, if duplicated, I'd imagine he's getting, he's definitely in the frame. So it's a, it's a, it's a really good spot, and Wolfie's Dynaghost, of course, being a half to the venerable uh, Sadler's Joy from that Woods Lane Farm family of horses that uh, just seem to produce over and over. Just a great spot. I'm interested to see also if Runaway Storm shows a little bit more speed after a bad break from the gate last time out that led to him coming from off the pace. Just a ton of intrigue in this Prairie Bayou. Hopefully we've gotten it narrowed down enough for you to uh, to get through this leg. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not going to be easy, and it's one of those races where, you know, I hate to take the easy way out and singling this horse because I think that's what the general public is going to do is single this horse. So maybe, you know, in some of those other, you know, opinions that you just mentioned, you know, I, I think, you know, definitely Chellis is, is, you know, intriguing in this race. You know, maybe uh, like the King can return to form, maybe Ocean Atlantique. And so if you're playing the pick five and you want to key in on this horse, which the majority of the public will do, maybe play a pick four as a backup and, you know, sort of go deeper in this race where most people will spread. Or most people will uh, single. Great point here. Let's go to race eight, six and a half furlongs, three life allowance runners, the three gaslight dancer, who's a stakes winner, having taken the Palisades at Keeneland earlier this year, is going to match up with the four talking cash from Brad Cox's barn, who debuted with a win over this surface back in March and now looks to make it two straight, having won a one other than in a pretty 
pretty comfortable fashion last time out. The uh, the thing that I always thought was interesting about uh, about these types of races, of course, is that you're looking at three life restrictions. So this undoubtedly is going to be a weaker field than what you'd find in a two other then. And I think it's a logical jump in class for that. Brad Cox runner will get plenty of support. Bourbon Heist, another one figuring to get a lot of a lot of wagering action with a good local record and coming in in very good form as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this, you know, sort of speaks to, uh, you know, the prowess of what Turfway Park has done with these uh, purses for the Kentucky breads, you know, just, you know, a decade ago, these same competition for, for non three allowance were, were running for a $26,000 purse. Now they're running for $76,000 on Saturday night in this race. And, um, you know, a horse like Talking Cash, who, you know, really wanted to get on the turf last time out, but the race got washed off uh, here here at Churchill, um, is, is certainly the one to beat and the one to play in this race. Um, I hate to not go, you know, too creative because everything you said just fits this horse. And, you know, he has sort of, uh, lost the least is in, in my opinion, you know, a horse like bourbon heist, who's two for 22 lifetime, who I, I thought can maybe, you know, move up going back to Turfway, uh, but just doesn't like to find the winner circle, but he has found the, you know, the winner circle Turfway and ran two good seconds to start his career. So maybe he's one to jump back in the form to use in this race. And I'm also going to use the 11 in this race. Loyal company for Brendan Walsh, a first-time gelding. Maybe that'll wake him up. Was facing some okay competition in some stakes races the last few starts. So maybe just uh, adding the biggest equipment change of all could wake him up a little bit. But I think the four is definitely the one to beat. Four, 11, six. I've had to use some Bs in here. The three, Gaslight Dancer, um, who again is, you know, a horse that, doesn't necessarily like to win, uh, but he's faced some okay competition here locally at Churchill. And then the 12 is another one that I'm going to use in brace for uh, Tommy Drury and Luan Machado, a horse that has a last work at Turfway Park. And I heard this horse does like to, uh, to his working well on the synthetic surface up there. Hasn't shown anything really in the last few starts on dirt. But maybe this will wake him up a little bit as a B to use in this race. But the four talking cash, Nick, to me, is the one to beat. Yeah, totally agree. All right, let's close it out with the rock bottom maiden claimers at a mile on the Tapita where the one Eastern Sunrise second time out for Chris Davis off an improved run last time out when he joined that bar. She joined that Barnes care. Looks like one that'll get plenty of support as will second time starter. Number three, rock and stroll. I uh, <laughs> good luck with this. Race. Yeah, good luck. I just I literally have written all in my past performances. And that's really, you know, what I was speaking to of trying to narrow early in the sequence because this race is so confusing, and, and and you know, typically in these sort of bottom level maiden races, even up into like the maiden thirties and that mid level uh, maiden claimers, I always like to you know for older horses find a horse that's has lost the least or a horse that's you know a new scene to the face. But now you're facing with two year olds for maiden seventy five. Good luck in this race. Anything could happen um, if your if your budget is there. Go as deep as you possibly can. It's tough to say when you have 12 horses in here, uh, so it can get expensive. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the 10, Miss Claudette, adding blinkers for Doug Cowens. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is Doug Cowens always uses Luan Machado um, as his go-to go-to rider in this race, and he ends up on the three, uh, rock and stroll for Ethan West. Maybe there's a little bit of an angle there. Alex Achard rode that one last time out, and he goes to this one. I mean, it's just impossible for this race, Nick. So uh, just hit the all button if you can. Yeah, sounds like one strategy for sure. I thought the nine Richie's gal would probably run better second off the layoff for Larry Ravelli. Showed some speed last out 
before stopping ads. Blinkers was two to one that day. Hate going back to the well on horses that are going to be over bet. The five Sayo and Tap is dropping in class for Kyle Karamori in light with the triple bug on board. Uh, didn't show much last out after a poor break. That was against much better. I could also see maybe a little bit of love for the four Cruz and Lucy, if not for any other reason than the class drop. This horse didn't do much running in either of the, the two races she actually contested, but I think that gives her at least enough credentials to win this race where things are pretty wide open, no doubt about it. That closes out this pick five sequence. KK, thanks so much. We know we can uh, count on you for the scratches and plenty more at Turfway Park. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me, and thanks to all the horse players for supporting it and listening to this podcast. Sorry, I couldn't give you a good opinion in the last, but let's go cash some tickets on Saturday night. Sounds like a plan. Big thanks, of course, to KK. You can find him on uh, Twitter at Horse Racing KK. And we're going to keep on moving on this Friday Players Podcast. Next up, we're going to do something a little bit different because you can call me many things, but definitely not not innovative. I should say we're using the double negative there. Drew Coatney is going to join me to do a little bit of stakes roundtable. It's a light weekend in terms of racing. We've got Turfway and JRA content for you as well. But I wanted to touch on a few of the stakes around the country. Drew, thanks so much. Uh, You know, just because there might not be as many races doesn't mean there isn't a little something to bet out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's funny, the... uh... I, we always love to talk NFL, and I wanted to bring up someone that I'm not not inspired by, uh, the Tony uh, Tommy DeVito, the backup quarterback for the Giants. His agent dressing up as a pure Italian mobster on primetime football and didn't care, wore, wore the part perfectly in jest to really fully embrace his moment in the spotlight. That's kind of how I think we all should live our lives a little bit, not take ourselves too seriously and try and uh, – try and celebrate the wins when they come. And hopefully we'll have some wins on Saturday as well. But yeah, the DeVito family is, uh, has captured my heart and soul. And I think America as well. I mean, obviously I'm wildly biased, but this is like one of the greatest NFL stories in years. And Sean Stilato, his agent who you're referencing, I've listened to a couple of interviews with him this week, one on NFL radio yesterday. And he also, I think went on with Dan Lebetard a few days ago. And he's originally from Salem, Massachusetts. He's a huge Yankee fan, which I know makes him not very popular at home. But um, that scene, and, and the, I was watching the Manning cast and because uh, I love the Mannings. And so their comments about his attire and, and the entire situation and, and Mr. DeVito just giving everybody kisses on the cheek when, when good things were happening and Tommy DeVito with the hand sign. It's, it's just the absolute best thing you could do for somebody like him, which is to lean into your heritage to something that's fun. I mean, he's got guys on the field doing it when they score a touchdown. It's incredible. And of course the funny thing is that they're going to play the saints on Sunday and there's a huge Italian contingent in new Orleans. And I'm going to laugh when you actually see somebody, they might not have black and gold on, but plenty of people in the state, are going to be giving it the old uh, the old Italian hand gesture if the Giants are able to get into the end zone. So yeah, long long live Tommy DeVito, and I think he's at least at the very least secured himself a firm backup position to uh, Daniel Jones for the future. So with that said, let's get into some of the stakes races that we're going to touch on. We've got a couple at Aqueduct, one at Oakland, and one out west at Los Alamitos uh, during the daytime thoroughbred meet. Let's start on the East Coast, Drew, with the first of two New York Stallion Series events being run at Aqueduct, and you know the the Look, you could talk a little bit about the purses on these races. Obviously, the purses are enormous. The goal was that they were going to give away the majority of the money in this spot. Um, It ends up leading to situations like we have in these races, which is that 
a lot of these horses are, haven't won before and they are running for an exorbitant amount of money, no doubt about it. But at the same time, you've got some that have shown at least some potential thus far. And we can see now how they do maybe tested a little bit harder in the first of them. It's race number eight uh, going at seven furlongs on the main track. The 11 solo shot for George Weaver looks to rebound off a key sense try where this daughter of Salamini chased the pace and tired late. She was two for two coming into that spot owned in uh, in partnership by uh, Alex Bregman, of course, of the Houston Astros, among others, Reagan Swinbank, a friend of the network, is also involved there. You've got another horse that's going to take uh, a relatively decent amount of money in here in the two, My Shady Lady, for Carlos David, who didn't have the greatest of trips last time out in the aforementioned key sense. I kind of felt like one of those two was going to win. Where did you land in here? Yeah, I think it's hard to ignore that major speed on the outside because even drawn farther out to the number 11 is more speed as well. So I went a little bit of a creative route with the number five Tor, uh, Tor Jeté, I think is how the uh, yep, Tor Jeté. Yep. Uh, horrible start last out, rallied well, spotted the length, uh, spotted the field about eight lengths coming out of the gate, then rallied around the far turn. And I've never seen what – what I can only describe as a Mario Kart uh, drift as the horse rounds for home, like just completely losing footing and almost sliding out from underneath. And then had great finish down the lane as well. So I think with a bit more maturity, being able to take a turn a little bit more uh, efficiently, let's put it that way. I think towards Jete could really be something interesting at six to one. And then my other opinion was the number two, my shady, uh, shady lady at seven to two presser type, Outside speeds are going to go. This horse gets to sit the pocket and cruise home. Best overall figures. It's a it's a tough race, and with these two year olds, we'll talk about in the next one. Uh, volatility in performances, especially in oh where'd that come from, type of performance, uh, are are plenty in the two year olds. So you got to get sometimes creative here. Yeah, I, I like it. I think uh, Torjate should improve at the very least because usually Horacio Deposit's horses do with experience, and uh, she did have a tough go of it in that debut, no doubt about it. The one Miss Lau is another who I could see running better. Took a little bit of money on debut in the face of Dolomite, who of course came back to run in the Demoiselle. Uh, this one went off 8-1 to one in a nine-horse field, had a wide trip, didn't really get into stride early. The runner-up from that race has already come back to win, so I think there's a little bit of reason to think that she could take a step forward. One of the winners in here who I guess is going to take a little bit of money. I'm not all that certain is the eight walk with me who uh, scored on debut at eight to one wiring the field and setting up a pretty slow pace that day. I felt like she'd be a casualty of the early running in here. Yeah. I wanted to bet walk with me thinking, you know, great finish at the end. The it's always great to see the time form figures continue to climb up. And then you really look back at it. No one's done much out of that race. and It continues to be blue all the way to the end. So that old adage of if they go slow early, it's hard to earn a higher figure. That's not even an adage, Nick. That's just me rambling. But if they that's go, you, go that's ahead. you putting forth a theory. It's okay. It, yeah. it is all right, and it's also one that's I think pretty indisputable. So I like I like the uh, I don't think you're on a limb. So second start, maybe that 52 buyer earn becomes a 65 in this event if it if if fully cranked and able to go early. But yeah, that's that's tough to to answer the call with the outside pace pressure. This one's going to get you think. You think D- Dylan Davis has to go? I mean, there's no option for walk with me here, so I'm sticking to my two horses. I think it's going to be a fun little race to watch. 
I totally agree. Let's go to the second of the two New York Stallion Series events. It's race nine at Aqueduct with a post of 3.37 Eastern time. Now, this is a far better race. We've got horses in here that have not only won, uh, but they have also performed well against Stakes Company. And to me, the conversation about who's going to win this race starts with the nine BD Saints, who ran extremely well in the Sleepy Hollow last time out. Second behind stablemate El Grande. Oh, this son of Lauban was moving turf to dirt. Got off to a horrible start, and then I don't know if you watched the replay, but I mean, this was a day where you didn't really see a lot of significant off the pace moves, mm-hmm. and he came from the backfield to really put a scare into his uh, embattled stablemate, who who had done a lot of heavy lifting on the front end. Don't get me wrong; I mean, it was it was a situation where El Grande O was very much entitled to be slowing down a little bit, but BD Saints put in a very nice run. I think he's a horse that's equally adept on uh, turf and dirt. I'll tell you what, Drew, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be shocked if BD Saints doesn't win this race, but I'm going to be surprised. Yeah, I'm against BD Saints, and I was kind of curious. I wanted to talk to you about that um, aqueduct surface that was sloppy, if it was a bit more speed favoring. Sounds like it was, because sometimes you got to cross a line through that number and just say it was somewhere in the 70s, a high 60s, somewhere 70, because today uh, is going to cut back to the seven furlongs. And I think the key to this race is can BD Saints keep up with them? I've seen some turf efforts where I, that, that'll play out where BD Saints has speed, but on the dirt, I really haven't seen it. And so I'm going to go with a outside horse to number 12, Brick Ambush at 72 is a wide draw. A bit of a problem, but I think we'll get the price on, on the horse because of it. It has tactical ability to to really just set the, set the perfect trip and continues to improve. So number 12, Brick Ambush, I don't think anything creative. Two creative types here. The number eight, Wuhop. At thirty to one for Mott, I, I mean maybe it's the purse and Mott is putting this horse in this spot. First time starting, going against some like you said, some good horses. It just is interesting to me. Mott's typically not an aggressive type. He likes to build foundations and slowly step. Maybe it's the purse money that drew them into the spot. But number eight Woo Hop is a little interesting to me. And then I'll also use the number six Liberty Central ran really well against the foe last year uh, that has yet to be seen. But second off, and uh, ran in the slop last out and maybe just didn't like that. And today could be the step forward to upset. So a little, I think that we'll see 10 to 1 on that horse. And if he can get his head right, I think it could be a really interesting one. So in here, I'm 12, 8, 6 in this event, and I'm fading the 9 BD Saints. I was just going to steer you away from any comments on the rider of um, of Wu Hop was one of the one of the esteemed members of this network. Of course, has gotten into it on Twitter about Joey Martinez's riding prowess, but mm. um, it is not unheard of for Mott to use Joey. He's used him a couple of times. A rider looking to make a name for himself. I'll give you a horse who's going to be a price in here. And last time was undoubtedly the time. However, he's going to be a good enough price this time around. The 10 solo in Paris has actually run very well in two straight starts. It's very rare to see Randy Persaud with a lightly raced horse that actually has ability. Um, obviously, Randy is a trainer whose horses generally are low-level claimers. They usually make somewhere around 15 to 20 starts a year. Uh, but this horse ran very well. Two starts back, got involved in a hot pace, and then came right back to just absolutely dominate the field last time out. Now, mm-hmm. that was a 20-maiden claimer. Right. It was a significantly weaker race. But if you start to look at the speed figures, that speed figure last time holds up. And, and I think this horse is not out of, out of, of, uh, of contention by any means. He's going to have to continue to run better. But again, this is a good gamble from the standpoint of this horse potentially being able to run, you know, five to 10 points faster um, on a time form US type of scale um, as he was a little bit penalized last time out by a slow pace. So just a horse to, to kind of, Give a little bit of consideration to it at what could be a pretty nice price. 
Yeah, yeah, those those 20,000 claimers always get me a little curious. But again, we're dealing with two-year-olds, and it's a funky seven furlong distance. Anything can happen. Yeah, there's also a situation where you're going to see how much the horses to his inside show speed in order to force this thing along a little bit. And the runner immediately to his outside, who has plenty of speed himself. We'll see if uh, if he is as quick to the punch in a situation like this. Well, that's a look at a couple of stakes races at Aqueduct. We're going to pivot over to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and take a look at the Tinsel, which goes as race number nine, a $200,000 event at a mile and an eighth on the dirt. This kind of kicks off an elongated series of handicap races uh, in uh, Arkansas. And, uh, you know, I thought this was an interesting enough race, Drew, despite having a relatively modest-sized field, because you have horses that have run legitimately well in graded stakes races like Speed Bias, um, in addition to uh, Strong Quality, who comes in off a really, really strong effort where he just walloped the field at uh, Churchill Downs, but it was also earned on the front end. There's a lot of speed in here, and that was a race taken off the turf. So I felt like this was one worth uh, worth paying a bit of attention to. Where did you land? Yeah, I love this race. This is going to be a heck of a – if you like to play win bets, This I think you're going to get a price on whatever you want. I think three to two probably will be the shortest price. I've landed on the number seven Dennington at five to one. I just think there's too much speed in here. And has run some really great sneaky races into neutral time form U.S. fractions. Although it's against a bit of a weaker field racing in Kentucky here. Uh, ships down to Oakland and I think it'd be an interesting price as a three-year-old in here. I think is the lone three-year-old, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yep. The lone three-year-old, so continues to step up. It is interesting, though, with McPeak. Uh, 13 starts going on to uh, start 14 uh, for Dennington, who... Uh, has has created quite a nice little purse of over a quarter million dollars so far. So maybe this is one more of like, hey, let's just uh, get into the, the the placings and earn another check. But I just think that pace is going to be too hot for seven, the number seven, Dennington. And Leperu does a pretty good job riding from off the pace. Sometimes he accidentally ends up there too often, but I think this one will be intentional. The other horse in the number two strong quality, uh, second start off the layoff for Cassie, half million dollar purse quality, bro, Gary Barber. The connections just go on and on. At speed and go, I think, is the only option for this horse. So I've got both my angles covered with the number two strong quality and then the number seven, Teddington. Where are you going? Yeah, I like both. Um, the only other horse I was going to give some consideration, and quite honestly, I want a bit better price than his morning line is the one war campaign. Because I do think mm-hmm. that race in the Hanshin, he took advantage of being inside. It was a good inside that day, as we saw on, on most days at Ellis. But I thought he ran well. It's at least a race without Lasix where he performed well enough to be given some consideration here. And I'm in the same boat as you. I'm looking for this pace to get fast. And if it does, he'll certainly be helped. I wish he had run a little bit better last time out. Um, but I, I do think he was probably due for a bit of a step back off of that good effort at Keeneland, two starts back. So, no, Dennington uh, represents the same connections that scored in last week's stake with Butterbean, Julian Leperu getting uh, getting that one home for Kenny McPeak. So no argument from me whatsoever. And, I mean, barring a scratch of one of these horses that will be forwardly placed, there's three speeds, right? So you're, you're almost certain to get a hot pace when you're talking three out of seven. And Florent Giroux is not coming up from New Orleans to rate strong quality. He's got one way to go. He's going to try and do it on the front end. And this is a horse that had been – You know, he had been solid on dirt. They moved him to the turf, and he got better on the turf. But it's one of those where, as a horse gets older, they're just going to get better naturally, period. And and he's he's an interesting one to see how he performs uh, moving forward. That's a look at the tinsel, which goes as race number nine at Oakland Park. And we're going to cap our little mini stakes roundtable with a trip out west 
for the Los Alamitos Futurity, of course, a race known as the Hollywood Futurity for years. It is now a grade two, run at a mile and a 16th during the Los Alamitos daytime thoroughbred meet. And uh, Bob Baffert, of course, always sports a strong hand when it comes to the two-year-olds. He will have three of the six in this field, including the highly regarded Coach Prime, who went turf to dirt second time out. And uh, he looked like he was ready for prime time. I couldn't resist. Yeah, where, where, wait, where are you? I'm, I'm looking at the, oh, I handicapped Friday's uh, low style race. I'm like, primetime, where are you at? So I'm going to give a little bit of a, a, a bonus. I'll do race eight for Friday, uh, and then you can cover the Saturday race. Perfect. And I'll, I'll yep. take a quick look. But, uh, yeah, there's the the Bayacoa, um, uh, mile in the 16th, grade three, $100,000 up for grabs. And it's a really interesting match race almost between Desert Dawn, who's six to five for Phil D'Amato, as well as Midnight Memories on the Rail for Bob Baffert. And I think the big question you have to ask yourself is Desert Dawn's going to be coming from off of it. Does the Los Alamitos race course play well to horses coming off of it? And I don't think so. I think the track is a little goofy. I think it's tight turns. I think uh, Phil D'Amato likely, I mean, just looking through the PPs, has tried to dodge Los Al for the most part. Maybe this is a prep for something that, more to come. And I think people are all going to see the big idiomatic run at the Breeders' Cup distaff. But I'm going with Midnight Memories on the rail to just dead send and go uh, with Bob Baffert coming off of a bit of a layoff here. So although I do respect Desert Dawn, I'm going to be on the number one Midnight Memories here. And my backup, if I were to have to use a backup, would be the number seven Desert Dawn here. Yeah, a little bonus coverage there. The Bayacoa on Friday afternoon. I like Midnight Memories as well. I thought pace-wise... She was in a really advantageous spot. It, in general, I'm against Breeders' Cup alums, and um, and I thought Desert Dawn really laid it all on the line that day. I could have used her running second or third. That would have been a heck of a lot better. Um, looking again at that low South futurity, you have Wind Me Up coming out of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Juan Hernandez is on board looking to rebound. This horse ran well second out in the American Pharaoh, and then, of course, tried deeper waters in the Breeders' Cup. Ended up showing a little bit of speed, but caved in pretty abruptly going around the far turn. You know, we're going to get a sense of how good Coach Prime is off of that 75 buyer figure. He was within range of a really hot pace that day and looked like he was pulling away from some really exhausted horses. It looks like he's the horse to beat. I mean, they gave him $1.7 million for him. He's a quality road out of a dam who won once. Um, the pedigree includes one horse that was uh, a prior runner in Dr. Osaran who did it all on the turf. So there's still a lot out there for Coach Prime. I do think if he's beaten, it's probably by one of his two stable mates. Maybe Wind Me Up ends up getting loose because we'll see how Stronghold runs for Phil D'Amato. He was second behind Nysos, who is undoubtedly the West Coast's best two-year-old at this point, and uh, he showed speed that day. So a pretty interesting matchup, of course, a race that Baffert has absolutely dominated over the years, and we've seen yeah. some uh, some very good performances throughout time. In fact, I will tell you that 10 years ago, Hollywood Park closed down in the final running of the Hollywood Futurity run uh, at the track of Lakes and Flowers was won by Shared Belief. It's hard to believe that, uh, that that much time has gone by. I was in Las Vegas for uh, for that 10 years ago watching the final race at, at Hollywood Park. Yeah. Glad they kept some of these stakes races around, but those were definitely better days for our friends in Southern California who hopefully have a little bit of a, a rebirth in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Best wishes on that front. But uh, I do have a note on the number five coach prime from a uh, from a trip perspective. Uh, I have fast early pace noted, uh, but then stalking four wide, uh, four lengths back, then move into the uh, two wide into the pocket. Patient ride, beautiful ride, letting the speed split open. Massive ride in a league of his own. I typically don't write those unless I am uh, ha had several beverages or I'm really impressed. And I likely uh, I I'm. 
with a three-year-old, several beverages don't happen very often. Um, so I think Coach Prime is the real deal. And it's interesting to know the discrepancy between the buyer team and Craig McCaffrey over at Prime Form. Almost a 30-point difference. They typically a- average about 20, 22-ish. So a pretty big discrepancy if you trust Craig which I do implicitly, I think uh, you could expect to see that 75 actually be closer to 80, 85, but would love to hear those two argue why and uh, what the future per, uh, speed figure will be on this one. Yeah, totally agree without going very much into detail, being pretty familiar with both um, in these situations on dirt, go with Craig because the pace is that influential. And this was a fast pace that obviously took its toll. This is a young horse. And uh, usually the buyer team will, will upgrade some of these performances from lightly raced two-year-olds because especially if they're going long for the first time, this horse wasn't going long for the first time. He was going long for the first time on dirt. But I remember Andy telling me when I was making figures, don't ever uh, be too harsh on a two-year-old going long for the first time because they're naturally going to run slower than you might Mm -hmm. expect. So we'll see how Coach Prime handles his uh, his stable mates and a few others in here. Hopefully, ends this race a little bit better than Coach Prime, the uh, the actual Coach Prime, ended his debut season at Colorado. I'm still a Deion Sanders fan. I don't care who holds it against me. It's uh, it's 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 an easy thing to do. Yeah, and I just hope you used the pun already because I, as I was reading the 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 form that uh, Coach Prime's ready for prime time here in uh, the Los South fraternity. So oh yes, yeah. could. Couldn't resist it. A cheese ball like me is never going to miss that. So, oh, Drew, yeah, thanks well, so much. This was fun. We'll have to we'll have to do it in the future, especially when we get a few more stakes. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. Going to let Drew off the hook now. I'm going to close this thing out with a little JRA action. To close out the program, we shift our attention to the Far East. We are going to take a look at the JRA action this upcoming weekend. Two-year-old stakes center stage. And joining me, Alex Henry, an enthusiast for Japan racing and obviously a great follow on Twitter, if you're at all interested in anything going on over in Japan, Alex, thanks for joining me again. We've only done this once before, and it was very, uh, very fun, very informative. Looking forward to it again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely. So tell us a little bit about what the centerpiece of the weekend's action is over in Japan. Absolutely. So this Saturday at approximately uh, 1.50 a.m., so late night, uh, 10.50 p.m. on the West Coast, uh, we have the Asahi High Futurity Stakes. Excuse me. This is a one-mile turf race for both Colts and Phillies and for our two-year-olds. And really, this race is the big determiner of who will win two-year-old, uh, usually Colt champion honors. But we do have a Philly in this edition, so it's, it's going to be exciting. Nice. So tell us a little bit about the principles. Who is it that we're going to be looking to get the job done? Absolutely. So uh, I use a site called humanity.jp slash en. That's the English version of a wonderful resource uh, called Humanity uh, for Japanese uh, racing. And according uh, to the current odds, the favorite at this time is a horse called Jantar Mantar. So all two-year-olds here we're speaking about today, uh, he's by Palace Malice, so nice U.S. Uh, pedigree here. Uh, Palace Malice out of a Wilburn mare called India Manchuana, um, and he's two for two, already a stakes winner, uh, broke his maiden in October, 
at Kyoto over 1800 meters, so about eight and a half furlongs. So we know he can get the distance. Uh, and he next out won at Kyoto again in November, the Daily High Nisai Stakes. So this is, uh, again, a stepping stone race. We can think of the Asai High Futurity as kind of like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And the Daily High Nisai Stakes is kind of like the champagne. There's no other uh, two-year-old uh, grade one races that are stepping stones to this big, big stage um, like we have in the U.S. So Typically, the horses will go to this daily high grade two stakes. It's over 1,600 meters or a similar grade two or grade three as a stepping stone of this race. And he won in fantastic fashion. So we know he can get the distance. He has a great pedigree. He's training very forwardly. Uh, A1 Connections owned by Shadai Farm, uh, owned and bred by Shadai Farm. And I'm looking for him to probably be the horse I key my night around. But I do have others I'm looking at as well. So for the basic ones of us, just to, to get some of the background, this is going to be at Hanshin. It's at a mile on the turf. What does the configuration look like for that race? Yeah, so um, Hanshin's a very big race course. So it's a one-turn uh, mile here and at Hanshin. Um, the, the corner, it's – I love how they always say Belmont's big sweeping turns. Well, this is a, truly a large sweeping turn. The turn is what looks like half of the race course. It's pretty amazing. It's also an uphill finish as well. So we're really looking for horses that have a great closing kick. Um, and I can name another if that's all right. Um, I'm really also Absolutely. looking at <laughs> Strauss. Strauss, a uh, colt by Maurice out of Admire Vega, Mayor Blumenblatt. Uh, he is two for three in his career. Most recently uh, used the Tokyo Sports High at Tokyo Racecourse in November as his uh, graded stake stepping stone. Um, to grade one company this weekend and um, just had a slight hiccup in the Saudi Arabia Royal Cup in October at Tokyo, finished third, got in some traffic trouble. Um, but, you know, I think he's come on a lot from that effort. I think the 1600 meters shouldn't be an issue. Uh, he broke his maiden at 1600 meters or a mile, um, trained by uh, a veteran in uh, Rio Takai. Um, so I, I would choose him in second choice. He's also second choice in the market. I uh, also want to give a shout out to the filly in the race. I know I mentioned her earlier. So this filly, this mysterious filly, Tagano Elpida, she is, she's carrying the weight of uh, her stable's hopes on her shoulders. So uh, trained by Takeshi Saito, um, we may, I've heard of his previous, um, previous winners, Chronogenesis, Geraldina, um, a lot of scion, so a trainer that definitely knows how to get grade one winners and keep horses good and get them good. Uh, she's by Kazuna out of a, mayor, a King Kamehameha mare called Tagano Re Reventon. She's only had one race in October uh, at Kyoto, over 1,600 meters. One emphatically blew them away. Uh, she's actually quite handy. Uh, she sits. She sat about a third throughout uh, her maiden race and then pounced um, when given the signal. But it's just fascinating that they would choose to point her here uh, versus the uh, the Phillies juvenile a grade one race that happened last week. Um, so I think it's more of a confidence move versus uh, they were scared of the competition last week. And I definitely wouldn't leave her off of any uh, vertical wagers or horizontal for that matter if you're playing pick five. Any history of females having success in this race or do they generally opt for the gender restricted race that you referenced? Um, that's a great question. I was actually looking that up uh, before uh, coming on on air. I definitely none in recent history. Um, they typically opt for uh, the Phillies race 
or um, some have gone to the hopeful stakes, which is uh, at the very end of the year, it's over 2000 meters. Uh, but I mean, let's book history. I I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> she, I mean, her seed figures do fit too. So it's not a case of, you know, Philly in the race, you know, let's just see what we got. Her speed figures are, are within a couple of, of points of Jantar Mantar, the favorite. And the speed figures I use, again, are on humanity.jp. Um, there's only about a four-point difference there. So uh, I definitely think she's well-regarded. And a little tip for Humanity, if you're ever, you know, looking to, to wager on GRA in the weekend, Humanity has a great free service where fans can actually bet like tip who they think will win. And I've actually had great success playing wagers like tri uh, trifectas uh, with the, the community pick, uh, top three picks, for example. And uh, Tagano Elpida is sitting at 16.6 decimal odds uh, for the JRA betting public. However, she's at a 4.0 decimal odd for the humanity community wager. So she's sitting at uh, third choice um on, on the fan wager so that's pretty exciting uh it means people have confidence in her they don't just bet willy-nilly they they really you know, kind of focus in and again i've had success betting the community wager so don't count them out uh, i also want to mention uh one more horse as well um the third choice uh for the betting public it's danon mckinley so this cult uh, another cult by maurice out of a holy roman emperor mayor homecoming queen He's two for two. Uh, he's actually untested at the distance uh, at, at a mile. He's, his last two races, his two wins have come at uh, seven furlongs or 1,400 meters. But uh, I do think that, um, you know, with pedigree considered, uh, you know, obviously Maurice being a great, a great horse in his own right, um, grade one winner um, several times over, I, I think that the stamina is there. Uh, this horse will definitely be coming from behind, though. So look for him to be probably pulling to the outside or in, unless he can snake a, a sneaky inside trip and um, coming home late. But and he definitely uh, shouldn't be uh, forgotten either. Yeah, that's a great look at it. And Jantar Mantar, the uh, likely favorite, of course, two for two, having earned both of those wins at Kyoto. Uh, as, as Alex mentioned, if you recognize that dam's name, India Mantuana, she won the red carpet at Del Mar back in 2018, also put together a nice little record throughout her career. Stakes placed multiple times before that, did her best work at the end of her career with Ray Bell and Kent Sormo out west. So pretty fun, a little American angle there on a very American pedigree, as you mentioned, Palace Malice out of the Wilburn Mare. Well, this is a, a race that will be run obviously later on in the card at Hanshin, and I know you'll be up late, of course, watching it. Anything else you wanted to touch on from JRA over the weekend? Um, you know, it's honestly a great card. I, I guess I kind of want to touch on how to play, I, I guess, JRA, because I know some people ask me on Twitter, what's the best way to play? Like, I'm typically a, a vertical player or a horizontal wager player. There's only, you know, how do I bet the pick five? I, in my opinion, I would try to find a single because the wager is 20 cents. Try to find your single. Um, and then since the wager is so cheap, key other horses, you know, you have several choices in later legs. So, for example, I'm looking at the 10th race. There's a really nice horse. Um, it's the Roko Island Stakes, so the 10th race at, at Hanshin, um, right before the Futurity. Uh, there's a horse in there that's very interesting called Danon Timpani. It's a five-year-old colt by Deep Impact, my favorite, favorite a horse um, in Japanese racing lore, um, out of a Marju mare, Lightning Pearl. So this colt, extremely light, lightly raced, again, a five-year-old intact horse, uh, broke his maiden last year as a four-year-old um, in an allowance race, actually, um, over 1,600 meters, then followed that up uh, with a second-place finish in another allowance race, and then came back this year in March with a very impressive win, 
um, over seven furlongs or 1400 meters coming from behind, just like his sire liked to do. And so he's in his first uh, stakes try uh, here. And I, I think that this is a great example of, you know, Japanese philosophy of racing, you know, don't give up on a horse and, you know, just put him to the breeding shed if he's not proven, even if he has that extremely valuable pedigree. Um, you know, even as a five-year-old, they're still trying on him and, and seeing what they can do and what kind of horse he can be. So fourth start for this five-year-old um, has excellent, excellent speed figures. He's at the top of the, the um, speed figures of every horse in the race. No odds on him yet. Um, typically, like the, the non- uh, grade one races don't have odds quite yet, um, but tomorrow we'll get odds on him, and um, I think he'll be a favorite, and that's a horse that you can key on and single in that late pick five sequence that starts in race eight. So really excited to play that sequence, because I know I'm going to go a couple deep in the futurity. Very nice. Well, that's a great look at it, Alex. We really, really appreciate it. You got a little bonus action there for the race leading into the featured event, the Asahi High Futurity which goes as race number 11 at Hanshin. Tell everybody your Twitter handle because they're all dying to brush up on a little JRA action. <laughs> I'd love to. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Nick. Twitter handle is at H-M-L-A-A. It's an acronym I've used my whole life and its meaning will stay secret to the grave. <laughs> so please give me a follow and uh, love to have a conversation on there. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks. A uh, big thanks to Alex for the JRA coverage and, uh, Additionally, to Kevin Kirstein, who was on board to cover Turfway in the little stakes roundtable that we had with Drew Coatney. This has been a presentation, of course, of In the Money Media. We'd like to thank our founding sponsors, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and Ten Strike Racing. Big thank you to everybody who sponsors us regularly, including our friends north of the border at Woodbine, who make the JRA coverage possible as well. A big thank you to all of you horse players. Be sure to rate, like, subscribe, join In the Money Plus. If you have not done so, we'll have some good can uh, good content, I should say, leading up all the way to the Kentucky Derby next May. Big thanks once again to Kevin Kirstein, Drew Coatney, and Alex Henry. For Peter Thomas Fornital, Nick Tamaro here. Until next time, best of luck.